0: What's up, everyone? This is Chad, CEO of Mission.org and the host of Mission Daily. I sit down and talk to Robert Blazer, who calls in from all the way across the country from Boston. Robert's the CEO of Acceleration Partners. And in this episode, we talk about a lot of different things, a lot of personal things. We talk about nonconformity, core values, and why getting clear on them is so important. We talk about creating templates for asks, emails, responses, and replies, and how this can protect your time your brain and your calendar, specifically use OneNote for that. I'm going to check it out. That was Robert's recommendation. We talk about mental health, team building, the last talks exercise. So what would you say to everyone at your company if it was your very, very last talk and last opportunity to address them? We talk about time blocking, scheduling, work-life integration, family life, and our take on why the aftermath of everything that's going on could be an economic boom like no other. We talk about Robert's learning habits and so much more in today's episode of Mission Daily. Enjoy. Today's thank you for sponsorship and world-class products and services goes out to Trinet. I'm the founder of a media business and I need all the help and organization I can get. One of the biggest problems I've faced in the past is HR. I say past because I'm not facing it anymore. I educated myself and got the team at Trinet on my side. Trinet and their expert team help us at Mission with our payroll, benefits, and compliance. Trinet offers full-service HR solutions tailored to your industry. So educate yourself and get the HR help you need. Whether your team is 10 people or 1,000, Trinet has you covered. Check out Trinet for your HR needs today. Robert, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So we were joking before the call with everything going on. I think we're uh, down to rationing Zoom here.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, you know it's bad when you're rationing Zoom again. <laughs> <laughs> Fear not, though, because we
0: have another great episode today. And Robert, I'm excited to have you join us. Your career compromises many things. You're speaker, writer, CEO. You're doing a lot out there. So uh, it's exciting
1: to have you on the show. Thanks. Uh, yeah, it's interesting times.
0: It, they really are. So you're the CEO of Acceleration Partners. and if we were meeting six feet apart, of course, on the street and introducing ourselves, how would you go about you know just describing what you do in your work?
1: Yeah, so I'll warn you in advance. I'll describe you what we do, and then I'll just give you an example because it does the description doesn't do it for anyone. <laughs> so we, <laughs> uh, we manage affiliate programs or partner programs. Uh, we're one of the largest agency that kind of builds and manages these programs, which are, it's a performance-based digital channel where uh, a merchant or a retailer gets together, and rather than pay for a click or an impression, they enter kind of a, almost a digital business development relationship uh, with that partner, uh, that partner can promote their products and services and they're actually paid when there's an outcome. So the example would be, you know, you talk about my books and then you post this podcast and you, you know, your podcast has joined the Amazon affiliate program and you do affiliate links to my books. so that when you drive people to buy my books on, on Amazon and then they do that, uh, you know, you get a cut of that. So that's a, like Amazon has a pretty huge affiliate program. We manage it for a lot of the other kind of retail brands uh, and large brands. So did, did that help?
0: Yeah, that's a good description. And um, if we're to back it up though, into your personal life, who, you know, who are you and uh, where'd you grow up?
1: Uh, I grew up outside of uh, Boston, uh, Massachusetts in a, in a town called uh, Brookline. You know, I was a kid who kind of did everything. I don't want, I don't think I excelled at anything, but I did everything. Uh, good at sports, you know, fine in school. Um, I think I have a pretty familiar story to a lot of entrepreneurs, which was like, as I got into school, uh, I I just um, sort of creative problem solver. I I was kind of constantly told, yeah, I I don't think he's really living up to his ability. In fact, I I do a presentation related to my opening book in which I put eight years of report cards up and they literally all say the same thing, which is like, well, we think he could do better. (laughs) Sounds familiar. Yeah, I mean look that that sort of weighed on me, um, because no no one really kind of told me how I could do better, why I could do better, or that like the things that they wanted me to do were were, you know, about conforming and coloring in the lines and and, and that's just not the stuff I'm I'm good at. So, you know, we can go in into that whole whole uh, trip, but I, I, I don't think my life really Change in a significant way until I realized that all, all of those things that, that people were trying to get me not to do for years were actually my unique strengths and the things that um, I really lean into now and in, in, in my business and my personal life.
0: At what point in your life did you start to realize that? Was it an epiphany? Was it just, uh, you know, years of kind of banging your head up against the wall? What was that uh, moment or series of moments like for you?
1: Yeah, there were two main breakthrough moments for me. So, like, I did fine in school. I did well enough to, like, keep my parents off my back uh, <laughs> because the repercussions were Whereas I went, went to a good school, but I, I was never, like, a great student. And, and And it wasn't until I got through in college, I got through my sort of core curriculum and I went abroad for a semester and I, I was exposed to business and marketing and just loved it and realized like those were the things I had always been, been good at. And, um, I was also coincidentally kind of done with my, uh, uh, you you know, your prerequisites. Uh, and and so I came back and took all the classes I wanted to take. I, I sort of was able to get an independent measure. I made sure I took business and industrial psychology and like I got kind of four O's almost, you know the junior and, and senior year, so I really realized I actually loved learning. I just have to learn things that I'm interested in. I just can't learn things that I'm not interested in it's just i don't know whether it's part of the a d d or or whatever but it's it's also not worth it and I think that's when I realized that I had sort of confused this whole time like i, I that I didn't know I'd love to learn because i I just wasn't interested in <laughs> And most of the stuff that I was in and learning. And so then when I got engaged on stuff, I, I, I am trying to make up for, for a lot of years. Um, later, after I started the business, uh, we kind of got it to a couple million. I went to a pretty uh, intensive leadership program that sort of stripped us down, had us understand our core values, came out of that, really feeling like, God, I am still not Living to my potential and and just realign my whole life and business around my core values. Once I could articulate those, and and that's that's kind of when I started cooking with gas.
0: That's really interesting that you you bring that up. Was that experience? Would you describe it as like traumatic, difficult? How did you face that reality? Because that's kind of uh, where I'm at now. Is just um, taking a really honest look and uh, step back with the help of a you know really specialized. uh, Let's just call it like performance program.
1: You know, it's funny. I, I've been doing this for so long. I've been helping our teams to now do this and understand their core values. Cause I think it, it locks so much into them, but, but most people, I, I, I now I'm accused of being a therapist. Um, <laughs> but f- first of all, I which, l- is, run a- which is good, which
0: I think all the best CEOs ultimately are for the people around Right. Them. I run
1: a large you know, professional services business, nothing I ever deal with isn't a people problem, whether it's a client or a partner or an employee. And one of the things I've, I learned in my journey and it's, it just sticks. I mean, it's just so obvious to people. Um, what I've noticed is for most people is that their purpose lies very close to pain. And, and for some people it's obvious, like, you know, they grew up and someone in their family was affected by cancer. And so they went and became a doctor Um, Other people, it's really obvious and it's sitting in front of them, but they haven't made the connection. (laughs) So I had a friend uh, and someone we worked with who called me last week and and was talking about some jobs that they were looking at and and, and all kinds of stuff and and, and really trying to figure out what was the best opportunity. And, and, And they were talking about how important it was to help people to make connection and bring people together and help them be heard. And, you know, I, I, know this person is, is, uh, is gay, but, you know, very openly gay. And, and I actually said to him after a bunch, cause he's going around, I was trying to understand what he was actually looking for in a job. And he just kept talking about these things. And I said, do you think that, that it's, it's, it's maybe not related that these things are really important to you in work. And it's basically how you lead and, and you kind of, for a large part of your life kind of had to hide an entire part of who you were. And there was just like 30 seconds of, of silence, uh, on the phone. And then he was like, I don't understand how I missed that. (laughs) Right. You know, I was just, I was just listening to it, but, but I've had these conversations over and over. And, and for a lot of people, I I think the connection is really clear. Um, and and for others it's there, they just haven't seen it. And once you, that's just really powerful because I think it's, it's super motivating when you understand why you do what you do. It's not, it's not about being a victim. It's not about not honoring that, but, but, you know, most people are really, you know, they're trying to solve something that, that, that is personal to them or passionate. And they're either is something that, you know, was was, was formative that happened usually from either a positive or a negative experience earlier in their life. Definitely. And I think that, you know, exploring that
0: is so difficult, right? Because you're just, I mean, (laughs) when you experience it and you experience what it's like to be blindsided with something that you've been oblivious to for, you know, sometimes a decade or multiple decades, it's not easy, right? It's a confident shake. It's a punch in the gut. It's whatever you want to call it. But as you go through that and start to like reconstruct your identity, um, I think there's a lot of opportunities to, you know, emerge into something new. So when you started to emerge into something new after this program, uh, what was that process like for you? And was it like taking the weights off? Did you like, you know, take the emergency break off? What was that like?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, it, it, it's two ways, right? I think, yeah, it is euphoric. So when you, and I talk about this in my book, Elevate, I, I think that we all know our core values, like when we cross them and we feel it, we just can't articulate them or we can't say them well enough to... You know, make a good decision on them. Um, I always say it's like driving through the car in the dark, and you hit the side of the road, the 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 tunnel, and then you know to bounce off, and then you hit the other side, right? So your car's pretty battered, but like you know when you hit the guardrail. Well, if the lights were on and the lines were painted, you'd stay away from 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 the guardrails. So I I think when you start looking at this, you put this together. I did have this sort of moment when it all came together for me. Like it's kind of like you look back and someone takes this like stencil and like lays it on your life. And you're like, Oh my God, it all makes sense now. <laughs> like yeah. Everything, everything that worked and didn't work and people and relationships and jobs. Like I, I look at it under the stencil and it all makes sense now. And, and then what I think you end up doing is you start doubling down in certain areas and, 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 you know, dividing by half in others. And that that's just what I've been doing for a couple of years, whether that's people commitments, how I use my energy, like figuring out the stuff where it feels good. I'm making my best contribution. It's aligned and and, and cutting the things that are not. And and it's gotta kind of be a one for one trade, right? And we're much better at adding things than than taking them away. Right. Yeah. I I, I so so that's that's just this process of this doesn't feel right. Why? Oh, this just kind of goes against several of my core values. It's not the best use of my strengths. It's not the best use of my skills. Giving, it's, it's hard for people to give themselves the permission to say no to those things. Definitely. They struggle to walk away from stuff, particularly if it's like good or fair. Like they walk away from stuff when it's really bad. But when you have enough good or fair stuff, it, it kind of crowds out the stuff that you could really be great at.
0: For sure. And saying no or walking away from things or distancing yourself or dividing by half, like you say, is difficult because often we don't realize, you know, as humans, we addict to everything. And it's only until you start to take away some things, set up some boundaries or say no, do you realize that some of the things, even unhealthy things or unhealthy relationships, you know, just how addicting they are. So I don't know if you went through any of those like proverbial withdrawals as you started to say no more but any tips to get through those and uh you know divide by half
1: yeah i i think that uh the first tip is to sort of couple, couple tips uh like first is give up the guilt like yeah uh and and so so giving up the guilt is really important and, and and a way to give up the guilt is to look at your existing commitments sometimes the new thing inherently seems more important it's the sort of urgent versus important matrix mistake and, and so someone, you know, asks you to help with a nonprofit or, or with their thing. And you're like, how can I not do this? And you're like, but I already committed to two nonprofits this year. that I haven't fulfilled what I already told them that I would do. So, so it, it, one is give up the guilt. Two is like, make sure you believe that existing commitments are, are more important than, than new ones. Cause I think we tend to go towards the bright, shiny thing. Uh, and, and I learned from a bunch of other people who, who, and as you start to have more success and, and more awareness, you just get more requests. And Tim Ferriss did an awesome podcast on this, you know, templates. Uh, you know, he, he noticed yeah. that there was a lot of uh, consistencies between things that uh, when he asked people to be in Tribe of Mentors, all these people said no. And he noticed a pattern on how <laughs> they all said no and sort of pulled together a bunch of those best practices. And, and I think sometimes it's just a pain of saying no, because you're like, oh, how do I do this? And if you actually develop a series of really well-constructed templates for different situations, it makes it a lot easier to say no. And when they're good, the people write back and they say, you know, I have ones that say, you know, thank you for your quick and honest answer. I wish I could <laughs> do this more in my life. It's, I would say half the people say that. It's pretty funny sometimes. When you write back and say, hey, look, I, I'm really sorry. I, I don't have a lot to give right now. I have these existing commitments. My family and whatever are getting my priority and and, and I just... It'd be wrong to tell you otherwise. And this is kind of my blanket policy right now. The favorable uh, response that you get from people around that.
0: So when it comes to tactically implementing this, what type of email software are you using? Or how are you saving these replies? Are they in a notes file on your phone? What's the, what's your they're, they're
1: in OneNote. So I, use, I used to use Evernote. I, I switched to OneNote a year or two ago after 10 people. I have a rule once eight people tell me something, then I, I tend to... And 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 I think Evernote actually is just a little more dynamic, particularly using the office suite. So I have a, a a whole folder of them. I have one about job requests. I have one about you know will I speak for free. I have you know and if I write an email once, I I, I dump it into the template folder and I sort it in the right place. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, great great tip. So you're in this journey of self discovery and you're starting to implement these things. Uh, you mentioned this was like a couple of years ago, right? Where
1: this is like starting. Yeah, it's about. To, to I five years for a long time, so maybe it's six. But yeah, it was about.
0: <laughs> it was about. Sure. that. I got gotcha. you. And as you are were continuing, um, what I'm so curious. Like, what was the first year like? What was the second year like? And you know, would, was it feeling like it's an uphill battle? Did it feel like you're starting to coast? Um, what was that uh, evolution like?
1: yeah it, it turns into a little bit of a flywheel, so the first thing I did when I was clear on my values was we were at a key inflection point in our business and and we were creating sort of a three year plan and and we narrowed down our company's core values and 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 we were kind of you know when you when you grow a, a business I, when people say when you double every time you double the business you you break half your people and half your processes and we had been growing a lot, and I think we kind of had some of that and hadn't kind of done the house cleaning that we need to. So I actually went to the company and I said, look, this is where we're going. This is what we want to do. I'm paring down our, our, our values. You know, that made a huge difference for the company. It was kind of like the people opted out who wanted to opt out. We got clear on what we we're looking for. The business really started to grow. You know, I continued my personal professional development and, you know, I looked at my nonprofit commitments and I, it, it actually becomes easier because in, in, in the classic example of a, of a flywheel, Um, you start to, you know, you start to see that momentum and you start to get the momentum. And, and, And when you say no to something that was draining your energy and you feel the relief from that, you feel much more emboldened to do that the next time.
0: I love it. And so you're a couple of years into this journey. You've redefined your core values. The company's on the same page. When you double the company again, you know, are you still seeing the same results where, you know, half the people, half the processes break? Is it easier this time around? Like you mentioned the flywheel, but what's the, uh, yeah, as you start to get into year three, year four, what's that like?
1: Yeah, it's a little easier this time around because we're super clear. So, So one of the biggest transformations for me was sort of settling into authentic leadership. When you first lead, uh, and this is something I train a lot of our up and coming managers on, and this is very logical, right? What What do you do with anything when you haven't do it before? You sort of collect, collect best practices, right? <laughs> you look around, and you're like, oh, Chad, Chad, Chad does this, and Mary does this, and so that's very logical, right? And so I think to to a first time manager, a young manager managing a lot of people, the the first time or a leader, like you, you start adopting these best practices, and I I think soon you you get a sense of like what feels right and what doesn't feel right. And I, and I have a graph I use of like a patchwork quilt. And I felt like that was my leadership style. Like I was trying to like make too many people happy. I, I you know, I wasn't, I wasn't inauthentic, but I wasn't, I, I wasn't just kind of totally embracing who I was. I remember an example of this. Um, we went to a, a conference um, with some people in our industry and and some people on our team had way too much to drink uh, the night of the conference and they were kind of a mess the next day and really couldn't, you know, work at it. And I was talking to uh, someone from another conference, uh, another company and he was sort of telling me his approach to it. And I was like, Oh, that's great. I'm going to take that. It's a very draconian sort of approach to it. And, and I went to do that the next year and it just, as I was saying it and stuff, it just didn't feel like me. And I realized, mm-hmm. like that was, it just wasn't me. Like <laughs> it was him, and it worked well for him. And so, and so that's what I got more comfortable with uh, was really look. Here's who I am. Here's where we value. If if you don't like that, or you or you're not aligned to that, like that's totally fine. But we're not going to change. And I'm happy to support you and 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 go and do something else. But I, it, it just sort of, you know, unapologetically, you know, who I was. And and that was the biggest change for my leadership is just being able to just again, not that I was. Inauthentic, or try. I, I think I was trying to emulate things that I really uh, admired in other people. But when you really strip it down to, here's who I am, <laughs> and like I'll say to people when they come work to me, here's why you will love working for me, and here's why you'll hate working for me. Like I, I just want to tell you up front, and and you know, you tell me if this is a good, good fit for you. Like sure. we, we've won all these best places to work awards and all this stuff, but I'll tell you right now, we are not a best place to work for most people. Like we've, we figured out the 2% of people who really like share our values, want to kind of be in our tribe and our system. And it works for those people. It does not work for everyone. Yeah.
0: That's so wise because I think if you're heading in the other direction, you're trying to play this role of a politician where you're trying to keep everybody happy or always win, popular approval and that's just like a recipe for failure if you if you're trying to do something new or find alpha in the market. Like it doesn't work like that.
1: If you're differentiated, you're gonna some people aren't gonna like that. And, and yeah. Look, one of the things that we've had to figure out, one of our core we're very feedback oriented as a company, right? We take a lot of feedback, we act on it, and, and something what we realized was we were overreacting to it. Now, you know, at 175 people now, like if one person doesn't like something like, but 174 do you like <laughs> probably need to change the person rather than to change that thing. Totally. We, we were definitely as a leadership team overreacting to sort of what I would call kind of small sample feedback or feedback of one. And I, and I, and I've seen people get a lot better on saying, you know, yeah, uh, I hear that, but like, I think that's just that person. And, and, you know, if 10 people are saying it, uh then great um but but we can't just like jump all around trying to please everyone you gotta you gotta kind of make some people unhappy in order to make i think a lot of people really happy
0: hey everybody we're taking a time out to thank trinet for sponsoring independent media like mission daily if there's one thing i am about and in fact one thing the whole mission team is about you know it's accelerated learning one way i do that is by learning from the best When it comes to learning about HR, the team and resources Trinet provides are my go-to source. Just this week, Trinet published a blog and webinar series to help small and medium-sized businesses manage the impact of COVID-19. It covers actions you can take to be prepared should one of your employees test positive for coronavirus. It also covers other factors you should consider, including employee compensation, if your business is required to shut down due to the pandemic. There's lots happening now in real time, Go to Trinet.com and get the information you need to protect your business. Trinet will continue to post the latest as recommendations as legislation is changing on a daily basis. Robert, so I'm really curious to get your take on, you know, what is the right level? Is there a right level or do you have to each person, you know, find their own level of authenticity and openness around you know, mental health, mental fitness, whatever you want to call it right now. Um, Obviously, there's a lot going on. It's a tumultuous time out there. And it's it's a real challenge, right? Where you sometimes see someone that's junior, that's struggling with something and kind of like going through that proverbial dark night of the soul. And as a leader, you've been through your own. However, there's still, you know, so many different stigmas around. Is it okay to really open up fully? Do you want to just share it with that person individually? Do you want to share just with your senior team, so where do you weigh in and fall in on this uh, this kind of like topic?
1: Yeah, this is there's a couple things like this that I think are a little bit of a double-edged sword, right? As a company, we really support people like bringing their whole self to work. Uh, and so we're willing to have those discussions. We think it's critical. We think like if you're struggling outside of work, you're gonna be struggling inside of work. In fact, the event that we did at our we took a big risk last year doing at our All company summit, Uh, doing something called One Last Talk with Philip McKernan, where he coached four people to to give like sort of talks to the whole company. One Last Talk is kind of like a TED talk, but it is if you were leaving the world tomorrow, what is the thing that you need to tell everyone and have them know? And these were deeply personal things that people did not know about these employees. They gave it to the whole company. I think it created tremendous understanding of those people, how they showed up at work. The sharing that went on after that was tremendous. But we also had some managers not sure how to deal with all the you know dis- discussions that people are wanting to to have. So I I, I think for the you know companies that are, are are leading these days, I think they're they're really opening up to this stuff. But it is a new thing for 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 managers to deal with. And 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 look, particularly in the middle of this crisis right now, I think there's a lot of different conflating things. On you know, I've heard mental health mentioned three times today. You know, we're very cognizant of it. But a lot of companies right now are also in wartime survival mode. The standards change in wartime. <laughs> for sure. And, 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 and so I think leaders are struggling with this. Like I think in, in peacetime, you really worry about someone's burnout or their mental health or otherwise. But people right now are trying to save jobs. Um, yep. and, and they're working 18 hours a day to do that. So I, I'm not sure that people have figured out the medium in this sort of environment on how to address this. I mean, I've been on multiple calls today in different CEO groups and stuff, and, and I, this is a hot topic and and it's trying to find the the middle ground. Um, and we temporarily suspended PTO, you know, we'll, we'll sort of figure out who's sick and who needs priority and all that stuff. And I know there's some people that are really frustrated, you know, uh, about that, but, Again, we're like, look, I, I, we, we need to, we need to make sure we can help people that really can't get off the ground uh, right. and get out of bed. So if you can, if you can work, it's going to be really hard to have you sit at home and take a vacation right now. Completely,
0: and I think it's, uh, it's easy to take a vacation now with everything going on, but at the same time, this is where some of the most meaningful long term bonds and relationships and proverbial war stories are forged. Right, it's when you, you can look back and say, Hey, when everything hit the fan, we got together and came together and did something incredible
1: turning point for these companies. But look, in general, I'm the one in my book who advocates for, you know, rest and relaxation and, you know, eight hours of sleep. I don't know a CEO that's sleeping more than four hours these days. Right. Right? And, and they're working 18 hours a day because that's what needs to be done. I just think there's some times, and and look, we're dealing with a, a whole generation here that's never seen like the longest period between you know expansion uh, and, and and recession, and so they're just not used to it being difficult. And, and so I think this is one of the things that's going to be the hardest. I think there's a real different threshold right now across different types of employees for what they believe is difficult and hard.
0: I could not agree more. Yeah. So as a uh Infantry veteran, I've, uh, you know, deployed to Iraq and Egypt and done a bunch of different things. And it's, it's always, yeah, it's always challenging when you're, uh, you know, some of those stories I, I can remember in the past, um, not necessarily at, at this company, when you're trying to articulate to folks in the tech community or whatever, that have had catered uh, breakfast, lunches, and dinners every day and have never had a challenging job. These are almost things that are, uh, it's a foreign language, basically. It's, it's uh, impossible to
1: I mean, that was my speech today. Some people were saying, "Hey, we're getting different communication. It's confusing. It's coming quickly. We don't understand all these policy changes. This seems unlike us." And and in the most supportive possible way, I had to say, "Look, this is a wartime mentality. This is going to end up being our generation's World War II. Like, like, I'm, you know, we're trying. We are communicating. We're trying to be honest, but but that is also the truth." Uh, I mean, there are there are tens of millions of jobs at at risk right now. And and you can't be oblivious to that. You can't be oblivious. And it's uh, it's something that,
0: you know, feels scary. But just like in the aftermath of World War II, we had this incredible, incredible boom of prosperity. And with everything I'm seeing, when I talk to people, I've been very privileged with some of the conversations I've had recently with other CEOs and people that are way smarter than me about what they feel is going to be a coming economic boom. And it's like the cards are on the table and everyone gets a chance to you know, come to that table. And uh, maybe it's going to be uh, some, some dark nights of the soul, but afterwards is going to be a, a boom, I think, unlike any other. And on top of it, it's going to be a boom where people are prepared for the first time and where people are aware yeah. of what's, what's important. And when people so, talk about yeah. how
1: cash is king, no one understands what that is. Or I just talked to another CEO who shares a lot of philosophies with me earlier today. And we were saying, you know, it, I, people are going to understand about loyalty, you know, and, and if yes. you've, le- if you've left five jobs in a row, you know, for more pay and kind of because the the situation rewarded that you might find it a lonely couple of years now, <laughs> you know, when, when you need to lean on people and relationships and, I I actually think it's going to bring back, it's going to have people value, you know, some of the, some of the environments they're in, the leaders they're in, you know, rather than, oh, I can just get another 5% by switching jobs. (laughs) Um, Or, you know, he was actually also in the military and he said he, he, he was getting pushback from his team, like, because he's a guy who's super supportive, but pushes people to be their best selves that like, Hey, you can't push them too hard. Cause it's a, it's a, it's it's a really, you know, it's a buy, it's a seller's job market and people are calling them every day. And so, so I, I think the pendulum will swing on this a little bit and, and they'll just be a little more perspective on, it's not, it's not all about me. And, and, and the people that are doing the best right now in this are the people focused on other people because they realize yes. that no matter where they are, someone's in a worse off situation So rather than worrying about where they are, they're worrying about the people kind of downstream from them.
0: For sure. And I think the opportunity now too lies in the fact that for many young people that maybe haven't had a real, real testing moment or they haven't been through a period of, you know, worrying if you were gonna live or die for like a year or more, um, that experience of going through adversity is just uh, with, you know, your brothers and sisters or people in arms is intoxicating. Once you experience that, you're never going to go, you're never going to want to go to an environment where it's not like all hands on deck. We're doing something really meaningful. And yeah, of course, like we unplug, we, we recharge when we need to, but sometimes that means sleeping in shifts. (laughs) So yeah. Um, Robert, where are you calling in from right now? Uh,
1: I'm from outside of Boston.
0: Okay. Awesome. And when you are, you know, looking out your window when you're seeing uh, the lack of traffic or, you know, things kind of slowing down. Um, What's on your mind when you're like pausing to reflect right now?
1: Yeah. So, so it's kind of fascinating. You know, we're really focused with the family on going outside. My kids are a little older, so we don't need all the like scheduled school system stuff that people have going on. I mean, I give the people in my company so much credit. I mean, they have like posters up about when is school and when is work and trying their best to, to manage this. My kids are a little, uh, the two are, you know, sort of high school, almost high school age one is, and one's about to be. So, so they're a little more, um, self contained, but on Sunday we all decided to go for a bike ride and you know, we had been in the house a lot of the day. I don't, I think there's this over perception. You need to be inside now, which isn't really the case. Yes. No. <laughs> and, and, and we go to bring out the bikes and our, it's like Pleasantville in our neighborhood. Like everyone yeah. is, Outside with their kids and walking and dog, like it looked like a movie set and smiling and waving at people. Yeah, and I, they're not all. I said to there when phones. I try to take a picture yeah. of it. Just like my daughter was like yelling at me, "You can't take pictures of other people." I'm like, I'm just trying <laughs> to like capture the <laughs> the essence because it really like I wanted to share it with someone. It was yeah. So I, I I do think look our our you know our kids are we're very much there. A lot of times it's the spring there in this in april and may we're running around a practice where it's sports everyone leaves their dishes and runs the next thing and now now we have a chore wheel and everyone's cooking meals and cleaning and they're bartering you know i'll trade your cleaning for this meal and they've got you know they're cleaning their rooms and we're working on projects so i yeah i, I mean there's some there's some strong i think stuff that will come out of humanity uh around this particularly how how we come out of it and and, and, some reflection on it. I, I think there'll be some really positive, uh, personal changes.
0: Couldn't agree more. And when it comes to family and uh, personal life, uh, what's your take on the work-life balance thing? Are you just, you know, living your life and it's, it's all integrated and you've got some, uh, kind of like radical ideas on like time management and time blocking. So yeah, I would love to get your take on, uh, on this.
1: You gave all the answers in the question. So I I I don't believe in the concept of work-life balance. I think that's like a sure. seesaw that 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 makes you really disappointed, you know, with it. I I, yeah. I do believe in the integration, which is how do I have these great work experiences? How do I have these great personal experiences? How do I how do I build a life in which I can do all these things? They're integrated. They will never be balance, right? One one day it's going to be 80% one thing and the other 20, but you're trying to kind of build a, a, a portfolio. So, so yeah, that's the philosophy I believe in. And I strongly believe in the time blocking. So I think, you know, you build your schedule around your priorities when, when, you know, all these people or salespeople write me like, hey, can you talk at like, you know, 9am tomorrow? <laughs> you know, I'm always like, my schedule is eight weeks out. It's eight weeks yeah. out with the things that are most important. My fitness is in there. My, you know, at my time when the kids or my wife and I are going up, like it's all in there because otherwise like, or it, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. I so it's funny. Some of the best marriages and people I know in relationships, they're like super scheduled is where their time it's not impromptu. Uh, you know, I have a friend where he and his wife meet one night a week and, uh, you know, she, he asks her to bring all the questions that they had at that time. He gets the pour scotch and they sit down for two hours and they catch up on everything And they plan that because they just know that it works better than trying to do that in the, in the chaos. So, so I'm a, I'm a big believer in the time blocking. There is no free time on my schedule. That doesn't mean I'm not free when I'm free and I'm supposed to be outside or exercising. That doesn't mean you can steal that time. So, uh, I've allocated that time to how I want to spend that time.
0: Sure. Yeah. Wise words for sure. Because otherwise this, uh, that constant state of uncertainty where it's like everyone can chip away at your time and ask for things here and there. And everybody's just like meandering around is, uh, I have not found that to be a recipe for happiness or anything. Um, oh, you, other, know, you know, what I think the worst
1: thing is, you know, everyone uses these, uh, like I have a great assistant and one of the core things is, you know, she understands all of those zones and maybe the technology will get there with AI, but everyone who uses Calendy and all these things, which is like, grab any time on my calendar like any productivity person would would you know not recommend that right <laughs> look some people probably do it and they make available zones and are smart about it but you should not give other people control of your entire calendar unless you've made those windows specifically available for whatever you know like if you guys say we're recording on these hours so here's my calendar and here's the hours right versus here's my entire schedule that's not that's not what you want to do
0: yes and Robert, when you are getting out and about expanding your, uh, your horizons past the Boston area and you're traveling, uh, where are some of your like favorite places to go? And, uh, where do you find yourself going time and time again, whether for sales or partnerships or uh, speaking or whatever?
1: Uh, yeah. So we go up to New Hampshire on weekends, uh, particularly ski in the winter. That's just a great kind of getaway for us. It, it, we look forward to it every weekend. We leave all our stuff up there. It's only a couple hours from, from here. So love being up there. And now we're, kind of learning. There's a lot of hiking up there in the, in the spring and fall, um, that we're going to start getting into particularly because I don't think we're going to be going anywhere (laughs) for a while, much, much further away. Um, I love going to London. I just always, I was actually supposed to be there today. I was supposed to be on a flight on the way back. It's hard to believe three weeks ago when we canceled that trip, it seemed pretty ludicrous. Uh, that is how fast (laughs) things have moved. Um, and I just, I, I like it there. I, I've actually found any time I get away from home, my creativity level is higher. I think I, I think it turns off your autopilot. You're not walking down the same street. You're not doing the same thing. It, it, you're active. You know, your conscious mind is, is engaged more. I was just writing this in manuscript of my next book, but I, I can point to so many breakthrough ideas I've had actually when I have been traveling in a different location.
0: Same here that, uh, new settings, new experiences, the you know, direct experience of being uncomfortable outside your comfort zone. It's uh, one of the most powerful teaching tools by and large.
1: Yeah. You just, you don't even realize when you're driving home, right? You're on autopilot. Uh, I can tell you, cause I drove in Australia a couple of years ago on the other side of the road. I was not on autopilot. My, my brain was like <laughs> fully and actively <laughs> engaged in every inch of driving.
0: Yeah. Getting out of those, uh, the ruts of muscle memory is uh, super important. So when you are getting out of those ruts in maybe your learning routines or information routines, uh, what do those look like? And are you, you know, a books guy or a reader, audible podcasts, TV videos, what, what do you do primarily there?
1: Um, a little, you know, TV, I'm now I'm watching a lot of TV. I, I know I shouldn't. Um, but, but frankly, like my eyes hurt from reading so many articles uh, all day at this point that sometimes just plopping in front of the TV and trying to get some of the updates is helpful. Uh, TV for me is more, uh, watch some short comedies and, 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 wind down at night. Uh, I read a lot of articles. I probably read 50, 75, uh, articles a day. I'll have a couple of books that I'm working myself through. Uh, I really like podcasts. I, 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 what's interesting is like, I love the effect that running has on me, but I don't love running. Listening to a podcast while I'm running to distract myself that I'm running is, is, is a good combination for me because I, I notice that I feel better after, but, but I will get bored of running. So, uh, you know, that, that is where I do a lot of podcasts when I'm running and biking. And I actually love that combination. I know some people like the quiet, you know, of it. It's interesting. The way my brain works, it's kind of always going. So I, I do meditation. I do stuff for the quiet. But but that's a better way for me to crowd out <laughs> the the thinking to have to actually you know while I'm running or something, which is to 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 listen to something that's engaging. Yeah, and so fifty
0: to seventy-five articles—that's a lot of reading a day. Are these uh, primarily like in the affiliate space? Are they technical in nature? And uh, do you block time for this? How are you getting? that much focused reading in?
1: Yeah, I guess, I guess that is a like last month thing, <laughs> probably yeah. more. I, I don't know when this is going to run, but we're right in the middle of uh, of a lot of this coronavirus thing right now. That, that's higher than my normal um, velocity. I, I, I do a lot of them in the morning or throughout the day, Like, but but it's an example right now. I'm reading all of this stuff because I'm, I'm reading articles from history and the Spanish flu. I'm reading economic articles. I'm reading sort of medical opinions, because I'm, I'm trying to take all this thinking and form my basis for, you know, how I react personally and how our business reacts to this and, 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 and how we plan. I'm someone who likes absorbing a lot of perspectives and then pulling out, you know, the things that I find most credible. I, I, I will flip CNN and Fox News. like I, I want to hear what the complete opposite sides say on a situation. I actually think that's really important because you have to be careful. Like I don't get a lot of my news from social media. I go through the sites and look through the articles that are interesting to me because they all, you know, they have that filter bias. So, you know, when this first started, I was reading the, you know, we're going to regret not taking this sooner. And, you know, this is a hoax (laughs) designed to, 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 to to overthrow the president and, and, and making my own determination from after reading, you know, both of those perspectives.
0: Yeah. Always, uh, always wise to do that. And I think uh, after this, as it unfolds and as it starts to solve itself, there are just going to be waves of people that are going to, the lesson they're going to take away is to go to the source material after being um, all the projections and things that are <laughs> extrapolating
1: now. yeah, I mean, my son has a media class and they actually have them go to this like search engine site that tells them the bias of the article they're reading, which is interesting. Like just so they, they're actually teaching them to to pay attention to that, like it shows them whether it's left or right. But one thing we also have to know is that, because uh, I'm a big believer in Ray Dalio, and like you know, history repeats itself in principles. The winners get to write the history, <laughs> so uh, you know that that's important thing to do is that you know the, the things that could have gone a different way. People will retell the history. That that doesn't actually tell you the story. I think learning how to interpret the data and the perspectives in real time and build your own opinions is a really important uh, muscle. Um, Because the stuff that's going to come out in months will be like, see, I was right from the beginning. And I mean, that's just that, you know, victors get to write (laughs) write the history. I think that's just always been true.
0: An important lesson for sure. Robert, thanks for being generous with your time. I was hoping you could kind of cap this up with a call to action or maybe some of the best advice you've ever received that you find yourself giving to people time and time again?
1: Yeah, I think the call to action, particularly, you know, I think we're going to be dealing with some of the leadership implications of this for a while. Um, But everyone I've talked to, I may have said this earlier, who's, who's focused on other people and how they can help seems to be doing much better than the people that are really worrying about themselves and, and what it means for them. Uh, I, I think it's kind of like picking a cause bigger than yourself during during a time like this where, where you can do the biggest good. And and I think you know that that's what's going to get us out of it. And that's what's going to keep us in the right mindset. In terms of one of the things that I have learned, um, I've always had strong convictions. I haven't always acted as early on those convictions as I would have liked. And if I look back at a pattern of mistakes, I would say that it is knowing what I needed to do and just not doing it early enough and, and, and consistently. <laughs> and, and I'll tell myself all kinds of lies and excuses and why it's not the right time or whatever. But I'm just, I'm just not willing to, to deal with it and the pain and, and being conflict avoidant. But I have never had one of those situations actually get better by waiting.
0: Such wise words. And uh, I'm trying to listen to them again and again because I definitely needed them. That's something we, uh, we all struggle with, but if you can get past it, who knows what you can do. Robert, this has been awesome. Thanks for taking your time and uh, really enjoyed it. Thanks, Chad. By now, you know that Trinet is our sponsor for Mission Daily. You know they have amazing full-service HR solutions for your business. So what are you waiting for? When you go to trinet.com to get more information, you help support independent media like Mission Daily and you help support our team here. And you, as a business owner or HR exec, can get top-notch service from the team at Trinet. Stop worrying about HR issues and team up with the best, Trinet. You don't have to go at it alone. Reduce your worry. You need a team, and Trinet is your go-to team for HR.